Section 19 of A Failure of Initiative. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. A Failure of Initiative. Final Report of the Select Bipartisan Committee to Investigate the Preparation for and Response to Hurricane Katrina by the United States House of Representatives. Evacuation, Part 4 Finding Federal, State, and Local Officials' Failure to Anticipate the Post-Landfall Conditions Delayed Post-Landfall Evacuation and Support Federal, state, and local officials had not prepared for post-landfall evacuation, despite predictions of extensive flooding. While these victims endured horrendous conditions, hundreds of city buses and school buses that could have been used for evacuation sat useless, flooded, or without drivers. Nagin testified that the school buses belonged to the New Orleans School District, and, to his credit, he is now considering a cooperative agreement with the school district to move the school buses out of the area for the next storm. Nagin also testified that the RTA buses were always staged, or have been staged, in an area that has been high and dry throughout every storm that has ever hit the city of New Orleans, and we expected the same for this event. Unfortunately, those buses flooded also, because eighty percent of the city went under water. He testified that he had had trouble getting drivers even for the twenty buses that had taken residence to the Superdome pre-landfall, because most drivers had evacuated, and that the National Guard was not available to drive buses. By the time Hurricane Katrina made landfall at 6.10 a.m. Central Time on Monday, August 29th, Approximately ten to 12,000 people were sheltered in the Superdome. The massive flooding led to urgent search and rescue operations throughout the city and in other parishes as well. Those search and rescue operations moved tens of thousands of people off of their roofs or out of the floodwaters to shelter or high ground. As the floodwaters rose, people also self-evacuated from the city to the Superdome, the Convention Center, and other high ground around the city. As previously noted, the governor and the mayor were well aware of the probability of levee breaches and flooding in New Orleans following a Category 4 or 5 hurricane. Federal officials were also aware of that probability. When Brown was asked by Select Committee member Congressman Hal Rogers, was it known by you and others that the flood wall around New Orleans was only rated to take a Category 3 hurricane, he replied, Yes, that was a fact that came out in the Hurricane Pam exercise, that the levees may or may not hold, that the storm surge may or may not top them. They could top. The storm surge could top the levees without breaking, and they could top and also break the levees, so we knew both of those were potential. As Vice Mayor of Newport News, Virginia, and City Planner Charles Allen testified before the Select Committee, it is clear from information in the news that the U.S. government, in the form of the U.S. Weather Service, 
the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and the U.S. Corps of Engineers, understood the magnitude of this storm. Planning for the post-landfall evacuation had to be done in emergency environment. Despite the advanced knowledge of extensive flooding, the first task order for buses by the federal government to evacuate New Orleans post-landfall was not issued until 1.30 a.m. on Wednesday, August 31st. Although Blanco claims that Brown told her that he had 500 buses standing by, and that she was concerned when those buses did not materialize sooner, the select committee found no other evidence that any such buses were, in fact, standing by, or that Brown had made such a statement to Blanco. Developing a plan to evacuate the Superdome and other locations after the flooding was a complicated endeavor. That planning included determining the number of buses needed, accessible routes to the Superdome and other locations, security needs, and the ultimate destination of those evacuated. This planning occurred in a highly degraded environment that included limited communications that prevented a full understanding of the scope of the needs and even the visibility of deployed resources. Repeatedly, during the daily video teleconferences, state and federal officials expressed their frustrations with the level of communications. In assessing the needs for the Superdome alone, Homeland Security Operations Center, HSOC, Spot Report No. 30, prepared at 2 a.m. on Wednesday, August 31st, even after the federal task order for buses, reflects that 1. There are 12 to 15,000 people at the Superdome. 2. The water is not rising as rapidly as previously feared. 3. The loss of electricity does not appear imminent. 3. The intention was to begin evacuations that day, and continue them over the next few days. 4. Alternate shelters have not been identified. And 5. Two days of food and water is on hand. According to that document, neither the means of egress to the buses for the Superdome population, nor the alternative location to which they would be evacuated, had been determined. Options for egress from the Superdome included walking, once the state police can verify a route, constructing temporary bridging, constructing a sandbag dike to allow for walking out, using Department of Defense landing craft to shuttle to buses, and using helicopters for short flights to buses. Alternative shelters included stadiums in the state college system, but other options are possible. As we now know, many of the buses took people to the Astrodome in Houston, but as of Wednesday morning, FEMA officials were still concerned that Blanco had not spoken to Texas Governor Rick Perry to confirm that part of the plan. The planning process for the post-landfall evacuation did not really begin until Tuesday, August 30th. Blanco testified that she did not realize the full consequences of the levee breaches until Tuesday morning, when she was able to travel to New Orleans and see the effects of the flooding for those sheltered in the Superdome. At the noon video teleconference, Smith asks only that 
you realize what's going on and the sense of urgency here needs to be ratcheted up everybody is being fully cooperative but in the deployment of some of these federal assets especially transportation for the evacuation effort that we're trying to coordinate we don't need anything to slow that down the push of the resources and so forth to date has not been an issue but we don't need to let it become an issue because we're going to literally have tens of thousands of people that we've got to push these supplies to later that day and into the evening fema official phil parr and others sheltered in the superdome apparently unaware of the evacuation planning at the eoc began their own planning to evacuate the superdome as they observed the rising waters around the building and realized that people would not be able to walk out of the dome and return home according to parr the team inside the superdome devised a plan involving the use of helicopters to airlift people away from the superdome they concluded that they needed at least nine helicopters of which the louisiana national guard had three they communicated this plan to the fema regional response center fema rrc in denton texas and got initial approval for it with the rrc searching for the assets to implement it they believed their plan would have been able to move virtually all of the evacuees from the superdome at that time in about thirty hours the next day parr learned that commander of joint task force katrina lieutenant general russell l honore had stopped that plan as he came to louisiana to lead joint task force katrina at the same time there remained some doubt about the consequences of the levee breaches general don riley of the army corps of engineers reported in the noon video teleconference on tuesday august thirtieth that the lake pontchartrain level may recede quickly enough before we can get anything in there to fill the breach and then we can turn that pump station on with the city and turn that water around and pump it back into the lake fema federal coordinating officer fco bill loki discussed at the same video teleconference that they were developing the distribution plan for commodities that we can get them out to the communities as the water does recede in some areas the fema acting director for response during hurricane katrina ed Blakema, also said that on tuesday and wednesday august thirtieth and thirty first there was still some hope that the breaches in the levees could be repaired quickly by the wednesday noon video teleconference the numbers at the superdome had swollen to approximately twenty three thousand reggie johnson from the u s department of transportation reported that there were four hundred and fifty five buses under contract and it looks like we've got about two hundred that are currently in place with the remainder that should be coming in on a staggered basis the next day johnson reported a hundred and twenty buses departed for the houston astrodome last night and there are three hundred buses in the new orleans area you may not see those because actually they're staging at what's called the poker palace texaco refueling site and that's a place in louisiana and i understand that they are drawing down from that site they're bringing in about forty buses at a time there are a hundred and fifty-five buses that were requested and they are en route and should arrive at the truck stop by midnight tonight we have not received any other requests 
Blanco also attempted to deploy state resources. She issued an executive order on August 31st to commandeer school buses to assist in the evacuation. While these buses could handle short trips, such as to the airport or other local shelters, they were not appropriate for long trips, such as the trip to Houston. Lack of willing drivers and diversions of buses further delayed Superdome evacuation. But even as the buses were arriving, there were further delays. There was evidence that drivers refused to drive into New Orleans because of perceived security problems. Although the state had found 100 school buses, the drivers, according to Smith, are little old ladies, and I don't blame them. They don't want to go and drive in and do evacuations. He added that 100 military police had just arrived at Belchass Naval Air Station right across from the Superdome, and that two Chinooks with National Guard MPs were arriving. In addition, there were concerns that drivers had to meet the requirements for limiting hours of service between rests. In that same video teleconference, Smith reported that the governor would waive the commercial driver's license requirements. Department of Transportation's Johnson advised that he would coordinate with the bus companies to ensure that we can start doubling up on the drivers. Smith responded to this report by advising that they were about to run out of buses, and that he had just made a new request for 500 buses. Finally, the buses for the Superdome did not always get to the Superdome. Parr said that the governor diverted some buses from the Superdome to other locations like the Cloverleaf and other high ground, where, unlike the Superdome, there was no food, water, or shelter. Boikima agreed that buses that were intended for the Superdome actually picked people up off the highway and filled up before getting to the Superdome. Strangely, the video teleconference transcripts never refer to evacuating the convention center. At one point, Smith seems to recognize that the evacuation problem is broader than the Superdome, when he says on September 1st, I would ask you to quit referring to evacuation from the Superdome, but maybe an evacuation from the greater New Orleans area from the Superdome. The insatiable demand for more buses was a constant source of frustration. On September 2nd, Smith expressed substantial frustration with the number of available buses. I've got 2,500 people on Algiers Point right now, which is not right in the downtown area, that we could be sending missions to and getting off. Those people have been on levees for a day and a half. Get us the transportation assets, with drivers, and we'll start making that happen quicker and more effectively, and I told you all that yesterday. But by September 2nd, Department of Transportation's Johnson reported that of apparently 1,100 buses in the system, 800 of those buses are actually operating throughout. Despite having 1,100 buses operating, DOT recognized at that time that it appears that what we're going to have to do is increase the amount of buses from the 1,100 to an additional five to 600 buses for their operation. But DOT had no visibility of how many buses were right now within the state of Louisiana and getting close to staging areas. Louisiana National Guard General Graham 
who was coordinating the bus evacuation for the state, reported that there were forty commercial buses on the ground. Despite the large number of buses deployed, there were still not enough. Some delays were inherent in the system. D.O.T.'s Johnson related that buses were delayed at choke points at their destinations, where it takes three to four hours to unload at times, and Graham reported that buses would be held up to allow drivers to rest. Many bus drivers have driven a long way and must rest prior to driving. These factors alone could not have accounted for the shortage. More likely, the degraded environment prevented Smith and other Federal officials from realizing the full scope of the need for evacuation by bus that even 1,100 buses could not satisfy. Airlift operations supplemented evacuations by the buses. The effort to evacuate New Orleans was greatly facilitated by the establishment of an air evacuation component at the New Orleans International Airport. This activity required significant coordination regarding obtaining aircraft and crews, passenger screening, security, crowd control, air traffic control, passenger boarding, availability of passengers for departure, and itinerary management. According to Air Transport Association, ATA, officials, late Thursday, September 1st, Deputy Secretary Michael Jackson called the ATA President Jim May and said they had 25,000 people who needed to be evacuated. That night, airplanes from Washington, D.C. were in transit to New Orleans. Friday morning, planes started arriving with Transportation Security Administration, TSA, officials, flight crews, volunteers, and supplies. Planes were loaded around the clock from that weekend through most of the following week. A total of 13,000 evacuees were moved using 129 airplanes. Despite their overall success, airlift operations needed to feed into an overall management system. There were times when the military and the private carriers were duplicating efforts. Moreover, the coordination of all the parts was complex. For example, there were no pre-existing contracts in place for air support. Landstar asked carriers like Delta, JetBlue, Spirit, and approximately a dozen commercial airlines for help. These airlines provided planes, hot spares or backup planes, flight crews, and additional staff, asking at most for jet fuel reimbursement. In the future, airlines may be interested in entering into a Civil Reserve Air Fleet CRAF, program, a contractual program where civil airlines augment military operations during a crisis in exchange for Defense Department business. Conclusion None of this had to happen. The potential effects of a Category 4 or 5 storm were predictable and were in fact predicted. Declarations of mandatory evacuations, declarations that could have resulted in a more complete evacuation, were delayed or not done at all. New Orleans' decision to shelter instead of evacuate their population, as well as individuals' reluctance to leave, further resulted in an incomplete evacuation. 
the thousands of people left in new orleans suffered death or had to be rescued to await an evacuation that should have already occurred before landfall regarding the post-landfall evacuation neither the new orleans plan nor the state's emergency plan expressly provided for the protection of vital transportation assets to evacuate the city after flooding state and local officials also failed to prepare for such an eventuality regardless of the plans nor did the expert federal agency anticipate the needs of the state and city to bring to bear immediate relief as dhs secretary chertoff observed planning was not what it should be at dhs despite years of recognition of the threat that was to materialize in hurricane katrina no one not the federal government not the state government and not the local government seems to have planned for an evacuation of the city from flooding through breached levees having failed to anticipate these needs poor communications that hampered situational awareness hours of service limits security needs and logistical problems further delayed the deployment of buses to evacuate the city End of section 19